It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. You're listening to Bill Handel on demand from KFI AM 640. Today, the part of Bill Handel will be played by... Oh, God. Prep yourself. Gird your loins. Bill Handel. And now, here's Bill Handel. KFI AM 640 live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Bill Handel here with the morning crew. It's uh, Monday, March 27th, and it is dry uh, until uh, next tomorrow night, and then it rains again for a couple of days. Some of the stories that we are following is a horrific tornado in Mississippi and Alabama killed 26 people. Usually you don't see that. And the weather is uh, moving eastward. It's, it's going to be a rough several days. Now, the good news is on Friday, uh, the union, the SCIU union, the uh, support staff union uh, that works at LA Unified School District, uh, a settlement was reached between the union and uh, the school district. Now, this is L.A. Unified. So, you know, is it, uh, you know, on the areas around uh, Southern California throughout the country, uh, this is an outlier because it's uh, L.A. Unified. L.A. Unified is one of the toughest, if not the toughest, school district in the country to run. It's the second largest school district uh, that exists in the United States. Uh, can you imagine much less the state of California? By far the biggest one. So uh, big deal, except it's a big deal. First of all, let's talk about uh, the numbers. Negotiations were brutal. Three days, the mayor, Karen Bass, jumped in and tried to mediate. I don't know how much uh, information or I don't know how much influence she have. But guess what the district did? Uh, it caved. Basically gave the union virtually everything the union had asked for. And the numbers we heard during the strike, $4.9 billion in reserves that the district had, $25,000 average service worker salary increasing to $36,000 under, um, under the strike agreement, a $440,000 superintendent salary. That one I didn't understand. You know, how much you want to give someone who runs a, an organization that's billions of dollars? Okay, you know what? Let's give him $80,000. Um, 30% pay demand, 20%, uh, 23% offer on the table. They got their 30%. So uh, what does this mean? You know, it's uh, they got their money. Everybody goes away and is a happy camper. Carvalho, the superintendent, said he's relieved that it was a good settlement. Come on. They struck, for God's sake. How good a settlement is it? And they got everything they wanted on top of that. That's what happened with the union. So by January of next year, SCIU members uh, will get, effectively receive their 30% pay raise. Uh, those who worked uh, in person during uh, the pandemic receive another $1,000. Uh, the district's promise to bring minimum wage to $22.52 an hour invest $3 million in an education and professional development fund for union members. 
And uh, here's what Carvalho said. When we started negotiating with uh, SEIU, we promised to honor the dignity of our workforce, correct inequities impacting the lowest wage earners, continuing supporting critical student services, and protect the district's financial viability. Promises made, promises delivered. Uh, not quite what happened, is it? Promises made, less than what you wanted, caving in to virtually everything the union demanded. Now, uh, the union is is right in uh, the sense that the pay was miserable, is miserable. The working conditions are horrific. Uh, the class sizes are too big, even in violation of the law. The infrastructure in many, many schools has to be redone and has to be modernized. It's, it's a t as I said, uh, I think the district is impossible to run. I don't know how New York, with the largest district in the country, runs, but it seems to run a hell of a lot better than L.A. does. L.A. has about 450,000 students. New York has, I think, 650,000 students or approaching 700,000. I mean, that's a lot. It, it, these budgets are in the billion and billions of dollars. The other part of it, there's another thing that was added, two bonus acceleration days tacked onto each semester, targeted support for kids who really need it. Need it. And the kids that go to LA Unified uh, are not in the upper echelons of uh, socioeconomic uh, levels. Uh, they are, for the most part, poor. They, uh, there are areas in the city uh, that are very low in terms of uh, the, uh, the number of money that the, the uh, salaries that are earned, the education levels, because there's a ton of immigrants that come. And uh, it's, it's just difficult, almost impossible to teach a group of students where the skill level runs all the way from virtually illiterate people that come here. And, I, and I'm saying illiterate not because they can't read or write, but because it's trying to learn English. English is a second language uh, students where they're asked to learn uh, reading, writing, arithmetic at the same time learn English. It is not easy. Uh, here's the other thing is that, uh, guess what, a year from now, uh, they sit down again because the contract is going to be over. And the teachers union now wants uh, they're going to strike or they argue because the teachers want a 20 percent pay raise. And here is the fear that the district has because the teachers union supported SEIU, honored the picket line. Now, they weren't in negotiations uh, in this round. They honored the picket line. If the teachers go on strike. Uh, I think they expect that SEIU joins uh, the fray and does not cross the picket lines. The takeaway here, the union won. Now, something else that's going on, and uh, this harkens back, I don't know, 50 years ago. And if you had gone to a store 50 years ago, a supermarket, you'd see people outside with signs saying, Uvas, no. And it had to do with a fairly new union that had been founded by uh, Cesar Chavez and someone else. But I'll only mention Cesar Chavez because he's the most famous one. And that's the United Farm Workers. And what Cesar Chavez did is he led a pilgrimage along the route from 
one of the growing areas to Sacramento, and uh, it took weeks to go there. He was also on a hunger strike uh, where uh, he got national attention, even international attention, for the benefits of the farm workers. Farm workers in those days, it was not unionized. The United Farm Workers Union was a union created by Cesar Chavez. Farm workers were treated horrifically in those days. And these great pickers uh, picked an uh, insane amount of hours. They were put up at uh, the uh, at the growing areas, and uh, they had uh, housing that was effectively shacks. You've seen those uh, slave shacks in the South during uh, prior to the Civil War. That's basically what it looked like, and it was it was a horrible thing. And then the United Farm Workers Union was created. And uh, the public stood by the farm workers. And again, this Uvas no was the mantra. Grapes, no, or no grapes. Talking about table grapes. Not grapes that are made into raisins or grapes that are used into wine. This was table grapes. And they would not pick them. And uh, those that did reach the supermarkets, no one bought them. And you had... Uh, and they were bringing it in. Truckers wouldn't move those grapes. And finally, the union was formed and the growers caved. So fast forward to uh, today. Uh, the union, uh, where it was 60,000 in the 1970s, membership is now around 5,500. About 2% of the state's agricultural workforce. In the same period, uh, the number of growers that are covered by UFW contracts went from 150 to 22. The union had lost all of its power. Matter of fact, unions across the board lost all of their power. My father was a union electrician in the 50s and 60s and 70s. And man, the benefits he got. I mean, it. it what did he have? I mean, well, 100% uh, medical insurance, Kaiser, which extended to my mother, who had it for the rest of her life, and uh, eyeglasses. And, I mean, it just went on and on. And the pay, there was a time where he was involved in building the forum, uh, the forum down uh, the 405 in Inglewood, and he built it, or he was part of the team that built it. And the way the union contract worked, that the forum was behind schedule so he was up in the rafters putting uh, up the lights. And it was a Sunday night. It was after six. It was more than eight hours. And he was coming in north of $100 an hour. In the 50s. That was what the union was all about. And since he had no tax break, the government took away all the money. He didn't buy cows, he didn't buy herds, uh, he didn't buy depreciating assets, didn't buy oil. So uh, the government just yanked all the money. So what's going on now is unionization is exploding. The unions are back. It gets very cyclical, the way unions work. In the, 18, in the 1880s, the first union was founded. Uh, in 1910, you can look up historically uh, the... Uh, shirtwaist factory, the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory. I think I'm trying to remember the name, in which 146 uh, people died. The Triangle Building, uh, New York. 
Uh, a fire broke out. They had locked the doors so the women couldn't leave. And 146 people died, the vast majority women. Out of that came the United Garment Workers Union, the Women's Garment Workers. And then you had the, uh, the unions uh, that built the automobiles uh, the, under Walter Ruther. And that exploded. And so the union kept on getting uh, bigger and more powerful unions. Then they lost all their power. Because the corporations, the major corporations, uh, became multinational and workers just didn't have much of a chance. Well, guess what? It's gone around again. And out of this comes uh, the creation of, or let's say the reincarnation of the United Farm Workers Union. Si se puede, you've heard that phrase? That is bandied about? Yes, we can. Yes, we can. Even to the point where... Si se puede was used in Obama's campaign. Yes, we can. You know where that came from? The March of the United Farm Workers back in the 70s. So they're in the middle of an organizing drive. Uh, they have uh, begun uh, not only to reorganize, but the movement of unions have, uh, well, it's spread around the world. Germany, we reported this morning, Germany is effectively on strike for more wages. Germany is a very pro-union uh, country. Well, inflation there is over 9%, and the workers say, we just want more money. And the employers are saying, we don't have the money to pay you. So Frankfurt Airport is shut down. Frankfurt and Munich, the two biggest airports, shut down. The national rail system shut down. It's, well, a lot of what the employers say, it's out of control. Now, to give you an idea of how powerful unions are, that in Germany, the boards of corporations, you know, the board of directors, by law, there has to be a union member on the board. Now, can you imagine a major American corporation where a union member has to be on the board of directors? Well, that's what happens. Maybe we'll get there. Maybe we will get there. Don't know. And another little uh, bit of history if you go on Facebook, I'm assuming, or YouTube, I'm assuming it's on YouTube, uh, there is video of Cesar Chavez breaking his fast after, I don't know, 100 days. And you know who's with him? Robert F. Kennedy. Robert F. Kennedy flies out from Washington, D.C. and breaks the fast. The United Farm Workers uh, Union had become a national force, and then it just disappeared. Well, it's back, and it's trying to reincarnate itself, and you've got unions. Starbucks has uh, unions now. Amazon has that union in Staten Island. All right, I want to talk a little bit about uh, housing. There's a story uh, in uh, the L.A. Times, and this is something I've talked about before. Uh, there's a lot I talk about before when it comes to housing here. And we have always, I've always said that the housing uh, low-income housing, permanent housing for, uh, we're not talking about homeless people at this point. We're just talking about low-income housing, affordable housing, ran, uh, runs at about $500,000 per unit. I was wrong. It's $600,000 per unit. And why is that? Well, it's government bureaucracy, of course. And let me explain. There are two types of buildings. One is, or uh, construction in terms of housing, one is uh, those that do uh, affordable 
housing. And I'll tell you about how crazy that is. And then you have market rate developers that just build. And then either rent or sell, and it's just developers. And uh, they rely on funding that involves two sources, an investor and a bank. And that's it. Now, when you're dealing with affordable housing, it's multiple subsidies from local, state, national government agency, everyone with its own rules, everyone with its own timetables. I mean, they have to get uh, money from four, six, eight or more sources. And uh, the biggest and last piece is the federal tax credit. And this is a huge chunk of money, which is in the form of cash to the developers, which helps them build and therefore own and or sell affordable housing, which doesn't sell for a whole lot of money because you have to have uh, people pay a whole lot less rent. And keep in mind, there's a uh, rent control. It takes a lot longer. I mean, a lot longer to get all the permits in place. I, probably 10 times as complicated. Well, while that's going on, the price of labor materials just keeps on going and going and going. Far more expensive to develop uh, affordable housing than market rate housing. Why is that? Well, government agencies require 60% of the tax credit finance production to pay construction workers at the prevailing rate, which means union wages. Union wages are considerably higher than uh, non-union wages, as you would guess. So let's say a developer is, and, and these are not massive projects we're talking about. We're talking about apartment buildings of eight units or 15 units or 25 units. And very few of these developers pay union wages. Well, you have to. Prevailing wage. And that gets to be, believe me, it's not $20 an hour either. It's a lot more expensive. Most government housing aid programs go through the Department of Housing and Urban Development. And they have a rent formula that, it, well, basically 30% of household income. And the rest of it is government subsidized but if you look at how complex it is to build that housing, winning tax credit, actually the developers make a chunk of money. So it's very competitive. And so the developers choose usually to make 100% of the units available to tenants. And then there's a whole formula there, complicated, but it comes to about 30% of uh, their income. In uh, market rate uh, market rate developments, you know, you just build a regular developer. Developers get their money from the rents or they sell their projects, as I said. This doesn't work in tax credit projects. Rates are discounted, uh, not a reliable source of income because these are, for the most part, poor people. And developers are prohibited from selling their property for 15 years. They have to hang on to it for 15 years, which means... It could very well lose money and does unless the government subsidize it uh, with the tax credit projects. So they get their money. Usually it's 15 percent of uh, the construction costs, which are astronomical. So here's the way it works real quickly. So uh, a developer either uh, acquires or puts a uh, uh, puts an option on a piece of land. And then they spend two years, at least two years on pre-development. Architectural plans, local building department, okay, takes six to ten months. 
Uh, neighbors have to be dealt with. Remember, the neighbors have to be okay with that. So you've got petitions, you've got hearings, uh, you've got forms of aid from state and local government. Uh, that comes uh, with low interest loans. And then it goes on and on. It just takes a lot longer. I mean, the bureaucracy is just astronomical. And to give you an idea of how successful this program is, and it is for people to get the money, Congress has given $11 billion in tax credits across the country this year. That makes a dent. But let me give you the cost of affordable housing just in L.A. County. $300 billion just for L.A. County. Not counting Orange County, Ventura County. So it's a competition. These developers make enough money to where they compete for these projects and about half of them get them. So you wonder why it costs so much damn money. Now, that also doesn't include the services that are offered by the state or county. So there has to be room for common areas. There has to be uh, additional building being done, community, uh, uh, community centers that have to be built. Uh, not auditoriums, but meeting rooms where services can be given. I mean, it just, it's very complicated stuff. So you wonder why it costs so much damn money. And how do we afford it? $600,000 per unit. We have 60,000 homeless in the county of L.A. I don't know how you do it. I guess you don't. San Francisco. Now, this is the land of... Uh, would you would you say freedom for everybody and anybody in terms of First Amendment, in terms of, uh, uh, you know, any social program out there? Uh, what was it? Uh, was it Berkeley that declared itself a nuclear free zone that nuclear weapons uh, or nuclear material that's being taken away for storage couldn't go through the city? Hey, come on. You know, this is federal stuff. It was clearly symbolic. I mean, that is the Bay Area. Well, something going on in the Bay Area, which is kind of counterintuitive. Uh, there's a, a little sort of uh, boxy thing in front of uh, this home of this couple, uh, Susan and Joe Myers. And they call it a little free library. And uh, imagine it, it looks like a very large birdhouse. And it has um, shelving in it where you see a bunch of books. And it's on a pedestal. And I'm looking at a picture of it. It's hideous, by the way, the pedestal. I can't believe how ugly it is. In any case, it is a little free library. Uh, it's in front of the house. Put it up ten, a decade ago. And they stock it with books. And what it is is a book-sharing cabinet run on the honor system. Anyone can leave or take a book. It's free. And as a matter of fact, uh, the Myers, uh, being super liberal, uh, keep a dog biscuit, a little tin of dog biscuits right next next to it. So uh, the homeless people um, who don't have much to eat have lunch with the uh, dog biscuits next door, which is very nice of them. Well, they've just been issued a warning or actually an order from the city. Uh, it's an encroachment order saying you got to get that out. Now, you can apply for what is called an encroachment per permits. And uh, this, and it goes all the way from mailbox to planters in front of homes and businesses along public roadways, even very wide ones. 
and you get to apply for a permit and it costs you over a thousand dollars to apply for it and so san francisco issues a an order you got to get rid of it or apply for it thousand bucks and then argue how it is necessary last year San Francisco averaged 893 minor encroachment complaints, giving them no choice but to act on the complaints because that's the law. So when it comes to the Myers, they got the order to remove their little hideous uh, cabinet box on the insanely ugly pedestal. And they were told you have to get rid of it based on one anonymous complaint, just one. Out of all the thousands, tens of thousands of people that have crossed uh, the, uh, the street or have gone down the sidewalk. And by law, San Francisco has to do it. And we're talking about the legality of store awnings and outdoor signs. Because technically speaking, those have to deal with encroachment issues. Well, the Board of Supervisors working on a plan uh, to let all free uh, the free libraries, the honor system libraries and benches that are put out there for people just to sit and relax and get permits for, for example, uh, $5 maximum with little hassle. Now, the rule, the encroachment, uh, encroachment rule was intended to make sure no one puts anything up that impedes public access on a sidewalk. But... The rule is so widespread and the rule is so all-encompassing that they have no choice. San Francisco has to follow the law. And what this is, is unintended consequences. That's what this is about. I have been involved in writing legislation back in the 80s. When it dealt with surrogate parenting and reproductive law, as you know, that was my legal specialty. That's the law I specialize in, surrogate parenting, et cetera. It's the only law I did. Well, uh, we or I was involved with a small group of us in creating the legislation because there was no one else doing the work that I was doing. So I was there in Sacramento working with an assembly person and the chief of staff. We spent more time considering unintended consequences. Because that is the problem whenever writing a law is what happens. So, for example, this one, unintended consequences. Did the law really intend to get rid of a bench that is sitting uh, technically on a sidewalk? And we're talking about a sidewalk that's really wide, so it doesn't impede. But the law is really clear. You have to get rid of it or they have to give you a waiver, an encroachment permit, which, of course, they wouldn't heartbeat. But you have to apply for it. It is a requirement that you go through the bureaucratic, uh, bureaucratic, bureaucratic process. It costs $1,000 to apply for it just to put a bench in front of someone's home. Unintended consequences. So what's happening now is uh, city officials are dealing with the Department of Building Inspection. Let's make this uh, permit process easier and cheaper and extended time for businesses to comply. That's the other thing. They have a very limited time to comply. Uh, awnings are being set up uh, under their own plans. Awnings for businesses and signs. 
technically fall under this law. Well, as of right now, uh, the free library is still standing. Rules are trying to get sorted out. They're trying to find some kind of exception. They can't yet. The law of unintended consequences. Boy, do I know that for sure. The work from home era has ended for millions and millions of people. And I have a surprising stat for you. Something that I wasn't expecting when I started dealing with this story, started looking at this story earlier. This is KFI AM 640 Live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. You've been listening to The Bill Handel Show. Catch my show Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. and anytime on demand on the iHeartRadio app. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.